Hello and welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. I'm Inga Story and with me is Kieran Swan. In this episode we talk to Kira Galvin. Kira is a Labour Party councillor in Kildare for the Selbridge local electoral area. She's been a member of Labour since 2010 and was involved in Labour Youth serving as trade union coordinator. She was elected to Kildare County Council in the 2019 local elections. Outside her local council role, Kira works for SIPTU in the Workers' Rights Centre. We'll discuss how Kira got involved in politics and the Labour Party, her experience as a member through the period of coalition government, standing in the local elections and the role of local politics, and the political and personal challenges of being a local councillor. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe if you haven't already. You can visit the Irish Left Archive at leftarchive.ie. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us via the website or by emailing contact at leftarchive.ie or find us on Twitter at ieleftarchive. So thanks again to Kira for speaking to us and thank you for listening. First, thanks very much, Kira, for talking to us today. To, to begin with, can you tell us a bit about how you first became involved in politics and what led you into the Labour Party in particular? <laughs> Where to start? Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this because it was one of the areas that you said might come up. And, and I was trying to think when when was kind of my earliest sense of politics. And I reckon it was when I started secondary school. And within a few days of start, starting secondary school, um, we had 9-11 happen. And that was probably the first major political event that I was really ever aware of. And then around the same time, we were having the 2001-2002 the abortion referendum and the posters were going up. And I was listening to all the debates on Morning Ireland on the way into school. And um, and then shortly after after that, then there were the anti-war protests were starting up. And I think that was probably the first time that I ever really felt that I, there was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to take part in this. I wanted to... Um, do something but I didn't really know what at that point to do so um, that was kind of all before junior search and then what really made me sit up I suppose was when I watched An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore mm-hmm. when I was 17 I don't know if you've seen, mm-hmm. seen it yeah. yeah it's been a while since I watched it actually yeah. but um, it was a documentary on global warming in case anyone hasn't seen it and I was really struck by the statistics in that around the scientific consensus um, versus the media coverage of um, of global warming and the man-made nature of global warming. And so I think at that point it was, I decided to study politics and become, I actually wanted to be a journalist at that point. Um, and then when I got into college, a lot of people who come into political parties through, and, and also were in college actually joined in college, but that wasn't the case for me. Um, I did get more politically active I became a lot more politically aware um, and also we, we were dealing with the economic crash from my second year in college so um, I started you know I was on the picket line with my lecturers and I went to meetings and all the protests and I think there was a period of my life actually where I probably marched down O'Connell Street far more often than I walked down it <laughs> so um, yeah I also went to things like I got involved with climate camp and I used to go to Shomer Spree a bit and uh, climate camp was sort of a, an anti-capitalist eco anarchist protest group mm. um so it kind of on one side was getting involved in some really quite radical left politics and then on the other side of that i also um i ran for the selbridge community council when i was 19 um I, I joined i got involved with that with the intention of setting up a youth cafe and we, we did actually deliver the youth cafe although i didn't stay on the council after we had got the project to a point where i, I thought this is actually going to happen um 
I did an internship through college work. I did an internship with Dominic Hannigan. Um, he was a Labour senator at the time, mm. and he went on to become a TD. And actually, he was our candidate in the European elections here uh, the last time around in 2019. Um, and I also, well, so I was elected to Union Council for two years in a row in, in college, but I never got involved beyond that. I didn't run for the exec. I didn't have the confidence, to be honest, um, at that point in my life. And so despite all this I never joined a political party I kind of always thought of myself as, as a, an independent leftist mm. and so the decision to to join a political party that came a good bit later that was after I graduated I graduated in 2010 I did very well in college I got a good degree out of it mm. um, and yet there was no work at all whatsoever and I was I continued my I'd had a part-time job in college I was teaching swimming and, and, and working as a lifeguard and I had kind of continued on that work um, the year after I graduated and I was sitting there one day in the in this watching it an almost empty pool because it's quite a small pool and very few people used it um, but I was sitting there watching this empty pool and I just thought I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life who like who can make it changes that um, will actually make my life better and I think at that point as well I was a bit annoyed because they had recently cut our wages in the pool, like between 15 and 20 percent. And and in retrospect, I probably should have joined a union yes. at that point. But I didn't know about unions, despite being politically active. I didn't know that that's something that was even an option to me, really. So I didn't join a union. Instead, I looked around and I thought, who's the only person who was talking any sense in the doll at that point was Eamon Gilmore. And so I thought um, I kind of. I didn't join straight away. I thought about it for a couple of months, actually. And eventually I decided I was going to bite the bullet and join the Labour Party and do my best, do my bit, the best I could to try and get a, a left wing Taoiseach um, in charge of the country. And that that's kind of how it happened. That's how I got involved in, in party politics. Staying involved was a whole other question. <laughs> and did you find like... Um... The decision to go with Labour, was there an element of like, that seemed to be the most realistic option to have a Taoiseach, a potential Taoiseach? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I, I suspected that um, joining the Labour Party probably wouldn't. I considered myself to be, as I said, an independent leftist at that point. And I didn't like the idea of, of joining a political party where you'd have to fall in line with the ideas and all the rest of it. Um, so, but yeah, I, I thought I looked around and I looked at the reality of political power in the country mm. and I thought um, the only way that this is going to be in any way better, it might not be exactly what I want, but in any way better is if Eamon Gilmore is the Taoiseach of the country. Right. Um, so that's that was that was really the big motivating factor to to join. Definitely. Yeah, because he was the only realistic alternative at that point. Mm. Yeah, that would have been around 2010-ish, obviously, before the Yeah, I graduated election. in 2010, yeah. And then I didn't join until, I can't remember if it was late 2010 or early 2011. Mm. Um, but you might remember the polls at the time, Labour was getting 30% in the mm. polls. And I thought, this is, yeah. re like, this is, this is a real, real option, like we could have mm. a left wing Taoiseach. Um, and then it, it didn't quite work out that way, <laughs> you <got a> <laughs> unfortunately. You got yeah. tarnished instead. Yeah, yeah. The culture of political parties, and this is something I think we're on the left archive, we're fascinated by. Uh, but did you find when you went into 
political party, the culture of being in a political party. I, I mean, I speak as somebody who's been in three um, at one time or another, <laughs> sometimes simultaneously. Um, did you find uh, that was a big surprise to you or did you find it more congenial than you'd actually expected? Well, I'd had some experience with the Labour Party before because I had done that internship with yeah. um, Dominic Hannigan. So it was it was an it was an adaptation and it was there was a lot of learning very quickly because as soon as I joined, I was sent out in the canvas, more or less. And so you're lear- like you're learning on the doorsteps. Oh, yeah. um, and but it wasn't really until I met I got involved with Labour Youth a couple of months later mm. that I, I thought but this is I have made the right decision this is right. something that I want to to I was a little bit doubtful for a little while after I had joined mm. as well I was kind of going along with it because I had a, I have this goal in my head but <laughs> you know <laughs> I've already told you but uh, um and then yeah. when I met met Labour Youth I thought this is this is fantastic this is this is somewhere that I fit in um and I think that's probably what keeps people in a lot of parties it's mm. that it's that sense of um, maybe in other parties, camaraderie is not quite the right word, but in in the Labour Party, it is. Yeah. Um, so the 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 adjustment it, it wasn't overnight, and it, mm. I mean, I never, I I don't think I've ever really given up my <laughs> independent thought. You know, I was director of elections for someone here in Salbridge mm. um, in twenty. 14 2015 in the local elections yeah and um the, he he sent out a press release about it and the headline in the paper was not a yes man by any means and i think that kind of really sums up <laughs> summed up my my approach to the party it's like yeah it's a means yeah. to an end but i'm not going to just take on everything that's said mm. just because i'm a party member mm. you know if, if there's something i feel needs to be challenged i, I will and i have challenged it in in particularly through Labour Youth um, right. during during the coalition years. Um, you know, I was very vocal internally about the different things that I didn't agree with. Now, right. how effective I was, I don't know. But I was I made sure that I, you know, if I disagreed with something, they were in no they were in no doubt that I disagreed with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. do, you, do you feel that the party accommodates that well internally or is it down to the, how your local party functions or? Yeah, it, it does and it doesn't. Um, obviously, there's a line beyond which you can't really, mm, it's an invisible course, yeah. line. Um, yeah. But if there's something, it depends. It does mm. depend. It depends on um, what you're saying, who you're saying it to, and all the rest of it. They, they, I think uh, internal conversation is not just tolerated, it's encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we are we are a party of, di- of diverse individuals. I've heard it said that we're a broad church. Sometimes yeah. we're a very broad church. <laughs> yeah. We have a very wide array of views on on different issues. But just because we all have slightly different views on things doesn't mean we can't all work together with the, the things that we have in common. Like if you want to promote workers' rights, or if you're interested in um, like the mm-hmm. women's rights issue or the LGBT yeah. rights issue. So there's there's a, a part of labor where I think a lot of people who are on the left would find themselves at home. Yeah. Um, and then it, so there is there is always a bit of internal discussion. Now, if you're going out in the public and you're you're criticizing the party and at that point, you're kind of like, well, why are you in the party? You know, if you're that if you're that opposed to absolutely everything that we're doing, then maybe this isn't a good fit for you. 
Mm. Um, and maybe you need to find a party that fits you better because there's yeah. there's a plethora of parties in Ireland. You know, <laughs> there's there's something for everyone. You know, yeah. um, doesn't matter where you are on the on the political spectrum. Um, there is something for you in in Irish politics. So, yeah, I don't I don't understand. I've never really understood why people don't get involved in political parties um, if they feel very strongly and if they have left mm. leftist beliefs. Um, because I think the only way that you can really effectively wield power in in our in our democracy is by securing a majority in the government. Um, and even then it's got its limitations, but it's it's better than nothing. Like yeah. you can stay on the sidelines your whole life, but you're not going to be able to really make a difference. That's not just political parties, by the way, that's trade union movement as well, mm. which is another really good vehicle for change in, in Ireland, I think. Very much so, yeah. Just on Labour Youth, I mean, and it's interesting because the Left Archive has quite a few uh, Left Tribunes in it. Did you find... Like what you're describing is quite a pluralistic and broad-based sort of group, which would have had quite a lot of different strands in it. Um, but it's always struck me reading it, it is slightly to the left of the Labour Party in, in the perception of the Labour Party. Um, and would you have found that as well? Like in that sense, it was a very, a little bit more of an environment where it was a bit more, well, a little bit more left-wing in a sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was It was really the, like being honest here, Labour Youth was what kept me in the Labour Party through those coalitions coalition years because it was this it's not an autonomous organization but it has this sort of quasi-autonomous relationship with the Labour Party more generally and and so when things were going on in the government that I really strongly disagreed with um, there was a vehicle through Labour Youth to voice that um, internally sometimes also externally but mostly internally Um, and that was like there there I, I don't think I would still be in the Labour Party if it hadn't been for, for Labour youth in those years. And the ability to try at least do something about the, the worst excesses of that government and having the support of, of comrades who agreed with me more or less, not on everything, like I said, yeah. but, you know, more or less um, on things like, you know, the, the youth welfare cuts and the introduction of jobs bridge and, and I thought at the time, and I still think that you can't incentivize people into jobs that aren't there. And you certainly cannot do it by slashing their their only means of income, their social welfare. And I said as much at every opportunity I had. Um, like Labour Youth, we, 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 did a, we did a bit of internal campaign. We did a little bit of internal resistance as well. There was one occasion where, you know, we had these, these media advisors who used to like to put young people behind the leader during the party speech. Mm. And there was one occasion where Labour Youth, we actually boycotted the leader's speech because we're like, you're not representing our interests. We're not going to let you use our image. Yeah. And um, so we sat in a room eating pasta, <laughs> you, know, you know, 20 of us on three sofas just eating our pasta and uh, watching the leader's speech on TV yeah. <laughs> at conference yeah. instead of actually sitting there in the in the thing. So. Like that was that's I know that's small that's small fry but it, it it's the kind of those it was all those little things that it kind of added up and and really helped get 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 me yeah. through anyway yeah. Yeah. yeah get through those years I, we, it didn't work for everyone like we mm. we did lose members and we were always very sad to see people go but I could totally understand it we lost lost one really dedicated member mm. um over the lone parents cuts 
um, her sister was a, a lone parent and she just felt she could like that that was the final straw for her yeah. and it, th- like there were, that's true of a lot of members um they kind of left in those years and it was it was a hard time to be in the party and particularly if you have any sort of principles at all like it was mm. a hard time to to sit there and watch the stuff being done that you don't you don't necessarily you don't agree with in, in any case but at the same time the stuff there was other stuff being done that will keep you in like for example we got the x case legislation in, and we got the marriage equality referendum mm. through and neither of those things would have happened if labor wasn't in government at that time but it wasn't just like the what its critics would call the liberal agenda i mean it's also the they had a real real role they played a real role in stopping the wholesale of, of a lot of public assets and um, they the, the Labour Party and government they reduced the cuts now and it's not a great argument how can you go up to someone and say oh I know you know we we we, we actually yeah we were we did vote for those cuts but mm. they would have been worse if it had yeah. just been Fine Gael like it, it's, it's not a very compelling argument to yeah, vote for someone yeah. it would have been worse if we weren't there you know yeah, it's yeah. not a very it's not a very positive thing and I, I did I found it very hard and um I know by sort of the elections in 2016 personally I kind of had enough now look there was other things going on I was very badly depressed at the time mm. um but I found I couldn't go canvassing I couldn't um and I did I felt like I fell out quite badly with Emmett Stagg he, he was he was our TV at the time um I felt out like <laughs> I say I fell out badly that's an understatement but um it's it's water under the bridge at this point but it, it was it was quite hard at the time and again it was it was that connection with labor youth and my comrades in labor youth that, that kept me involved and the work that we were able to do like for for i was the trade union coordinator for a while i was the national yeah. um secretary for a while as well and um, it, it kind of kept me it kept me interested and kept me going through and it was a very hard decade in general not just for me but for a lot of people yeah. you know there was no work out there um public services it was not a good time to be a leftist public services being slashed left right and center and this might sound like an odd question, but was it almost a relief in 2016 when the government, that government ended and, you know? Um, I don't think relief is quite the right word because there were a lot, a lot of our... our well, they lost a lot of people. Lost, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. lost their yeah. seats. And not just the TDs, but a lot of my friends would have worked for the mm. TDs. Mm. Um, and they lost their jobs. Like yeah. they're the kind of people that don't really get, get thought of as much. Mm. That's right. Um, and uh, so it wasn't, I wouldn't quite say relief. It took us a long time to recover from that. And um, I think we're, we're really finding our feet again now. Like we have a great, we have a really great in- intake of new councillors in the last local elections. Um, and we're really doing a lot of work to rebuild the party at grassroots level and get new members in. And at the moment, actually, we're particularly focusing on, on getting more female members in. Mm. Um, because we have had quite a number of joiners in the last um, few months, but they've been mostly men. So <laughs> we're running a we're running a bit of a campaign to try rebalance that um, yeah. and get more more women. In. It's very difficult when people lose. Um, and I I think your point about like you know when the support staff and everything it's gone. They've gone. Their jobs are gone because they're on short term contracts and that's it. Yeah. And they're yeah. out of there. People forget lost- that. Yeah, we lost um we lost a lot of like the parliamentary assistance obviously yeah. but it really uh, disrupted our head office as well we had that moment of hubris i think when they hired um hired that that really expensive 
uh, office on what was it, Bloodstony Road? I mean, we should have known yeah. by the name that wasn't a great omen, but like <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, and it was costing like I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm a million. I'm going to say I don't think it was mm. a million, but it was a lot of money mm. um, to hire this office. And the idea was that we were going to sell Eli Place, which is where which has been the home of the Labour Party for for many many years. And I moved to this this beautiful, spanking, clean office. Yeah. And, um, and in fairness, like it, it addressed a number of issues. Like Eli Place was not wheelchair accessible. Like mm. it was it was a, a tiny little, uh, several story high, pokey place with the yeah. stairs that uneven steps and that sort of thing. So yeah. I mean, it was it was a definite step up. And then it was just this massive crash from <laughs> from that into literally a basement around the corner from from Eli Place. So the people who are still working for the party, they're they're really dedicated. Mm. They've taken on a number of roles each that previously would have been done by different people. Mm. And um and they really they're really making it work like and particularly since Alan Kelly came in, um it's it's been great because Kevin Humphreys he he he's the organizer now for for my area and he's he's been great he's been on the phone he's been like okay Kira, we're going to get out there and help you rebrand build your branch and all the rest of it because it, the branch structures kind of did fall by the wayside for this but but it's it's yeah. really nice it's it's a great feeling of the like regrowth um yeah. and hopefully in in hopefully we won't <laughs> ruin it again by going in um as a minority party in, in the coalition yeah. But uh, yeah, no. If if we can keep that momentum going and get the new members, I, I'm really and and we have, like I said, we have this really great crop of mm. councillors, um, and if we can just kind of carry that momentum on, I like I'm really quite positive about the future for our party. To be right, honest, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So. You were also you were trade union coordinator for Labour Youth, and that's been a strand I think right through, right to the present day. I mean, you work in situ. What was that like and what did that involve? Well, it, it, there was no fixed <laughs> role description. It was very much a title that you did whatever you, you could with it. Mm. Um, so for me, it was a year. I was a trade union coordinator for a year. And what I really tried to do was promote trade union events and activities and some training that was going on, first of all, to, to Labour youth members, because mm. there wouldn't, as I said, uh, like as I, I think I said uh, there was a point in my life where I should have joined a union when I was younger yeah. and I didn't know about it so I thought you know I'm, I'm not going to I'm going to try help other people not make that same mistake mm. um, and so really kind of promoting trade union activity among Labour youth members but then trying to get them to promote it among their friends as well and also I set up a, a Facebook page where I promoted it and um it just events and that and then when we had things like I think the, the greyhound strikes were going on at that time and mm. we went out to support the picket lines there and um we did some we were we were running a, a campaign on zero hour contracts at the time and we did some work on that as well we had a couple of yeah. uh, demos outside areas that um businesses that were known to be using zero hour contracts it wasn't just us we tried to be as inclusive and possible we kind of tried to get involved in it to youth um and um yeah i was i was happy with 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 the work we did from it because it was it, i don't think much had been done with the role before i i took it on mm. and um i handed it off in in, a, in a, a a better position i think with kind of building up the contacts and the union movement and, and the rest of it mm. and that was kind of what 
as far as I remember, that's kind of what sparked my interest in the trade union movement. When I did my master's in public policy, I looked at the end, the end of social partnership and kind of how the union movement had tried to re- address that yeah. sudden dearth of yeah. <laughs> influence that, that it just lost this, yeah. this massive thing that had dominated trade unionism for well over a decade, maybe even two, two, almost say. two, yeah. almost two, yeah. And uh, it was just, it was very interesting. And then on the foot of that, I think, and of being maybe Labour Youth Trade Union Coordinator and a very long <laughs> recruitment process over, I think, two years, yeah. um, I got a job on, in, in SIP2 as right. a, an, or, an organiser on the Big Star campaign. So that's the campaign where we're trying to organise the childcare sector. Yeah. Um, and from that, I was then I was kind of poached by the, the Workers' Rights Centre um, because I'm pretty good at legislation. A lot of the work we do would be um, workers' rights legislation. You have to look at it and, and make cases based on it. So that's that's where I am now. That's what I do as well as being a counsellor. And do you find, um, I mean, well, actually, this raises so many different issues because what with the pandemic as well and how that's impacted on workers' rights in the last year, and it has Massively. been a year exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. And are you and seeing actually, the, are you seeing that as well? I am. I am actually on on, on both fronts um, because. As a counsellor, you kind of see the impact that not having sick leave has on people and, and them wanting to go into work and the, the impact of having to go on the pandemic unemployment payment, mm-hmm. um, whereas they would have had good salaries before now. And I think people have kind of been very stoic through a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody reaches a, a breaking point at some point. And I think there's been a lot of problems stored up over the last while. So, for example, the evictions ban has meant that I haven't had as many people coming to me looking for housing Mm. as I would have before. Um, But I do think that's going to, that's going to be a real problem after April when that, if that eviction ban is lifted and there's going to be these people who are in arrears on their rent and there's nothing stopping them getting kicked out. Um, I think our, our homeless service, I actually have a motion in for our March meeting this month about asking our, are our homeless services prepared for a potential influx of people looking for emergency accommodation because they've been um, evicted from their homes? So I've seen it from from that side of it. And then in work, part of what we do is we make sure that in the workers' rights centres, if we make sure that the processes that people are are being sometimes put through in work, that they are at least being treated as fairly as possible. Mm. And one of the, the parts of that is that things have to be concluded in a timely manner. And obviously with COVID, like the, the things that would have taken maybe yeah, a month, a month, two months maybe to resolve have been dragging on for over a year now. And then you've got, you have, you've, I have a backlog of about 20 cases that have been referred into the Workplace Relations Commission. Mm. Um, I, I've counted them the other day. It's, it's literally almost 20 cases and they they haven't been heard yet so the the pandemic has had this it's it's had this massive impact but i think a lot of the effects of it have been delayed and we won't really feel the effects of that for another couple of months maybe even until the end of the year the economic activity the disruption of the economic activity is going to be huge and i think that's something that the irish left really needs to be prepared for is this because we have a right-wing government and mm. they their default is to cut spending. Yeah. Um, and we've seen an increase in our debt burden. We've seen an increase in our deficit. And their way to address that will most likely be to cut spending. And we all know who gets, who's, who's worse, who's the worst affected by cuts in spending, do you know? Yeah. 
Um, so we need to be prepared for that. We've done, we had this really interesting training day in, in situ um, about progressive fiscal policy. It was actually only yesterday. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had Michael Tapton, who's. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. it's really, really good. And he's done a, a big piece of work now on, um, on I think he's calling it the, the, the case for like a public investment fund mm. and, and how, we sh- how it would be possible to reduce the debt burden by um, borrowing, by selling bonds at the moment, the government selling bonds, setting up a public investment fund mm. and using that money to, it's a Keynesianism basically, mm. using that money over the next while to, to invest in technologies that continue to deliver economic growth down, down not just technologies, but infrastructure and, yeah. and amenities and all the rest of it. It's a really interesting idea. I hope that it's taken up by the, the left more generally. Mm and pushed as a as an alternative to because you know the, the classic the classic patriotism there is no alternative well there is an alternative the alternative is that you borrow money and then um, you use it to increase your economic growth and then that way you decrease your debt burden and you can run a deficit this is what he was saying yesterday you can run a deficit of about two percent fairly easily and still reduce your your debt burden, and that's actually what happened over the early years of social partnership between eighty nine and um, ninety seven or so. The debt burden of the country was reduced from one hundred and twenty two percent of GDP was GNP back then, but GDP mm. down to seventy something percent of GDP. So it was a massive dis- decrease in, in the debt burden, and the, yeah. the way they did that was by running a deficit and um, investing in the economy now. Maybe the investment wasn't as well spent as it could have been, but yeah. it was, you know, there was, it was there at least. And so it was just a, I, I think, it, I think the left needs to be prepared, as I said, for the fallout from COVID mm. and we need to, we need to have our arguments ready. And I know it, maybe I didn't, I didn't explain the, the, the economic, the progressive fiscal policies that are particularly well, but I, I do think it's something that we need to have our arguments ready for and yeah. show, show people that there is an alternative to what's going on. Do you know, yeah. we're not we're not a household. We're we're a country, and yeah. and um, exactly. national economics don't work the same way as your your home you know home economics. Yeah. So that that metaphor is particularly insidious, and it's, it's it's I don't think any economist would take it seriously. <laughs> no, no, but it does. It it comes in, and and you're hearing the code words for it already. Um, to, that 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 suggests that we're going to have these massive adjustments that are really going to impact on people quite badly. Mm. They're shameless so, about it. Shameless in, in the media can already seeping in certain opinion yeah. pieces in the last two weeks. Yeah, they're already they're it's like they're foaming up the mouth, getting ready to um, just pursue this, push this austerity agenda down our throats again. And I mean, it didn't work well last time. I mean, we of all people should know that, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it didn't it didn't work well and it, it won't work again. So it, it's just I hope I hope that they they do things differently this time. But, and, and, you know, it's, Not I don't expect them to. Yeah. So there's a trade union side of it, but you've actually wound up in representative politics as well. So how did that happen? Um, I hadn't actually planned to run. I never, never really intended to run um, in the local elections. And then our longstanding councillor here in Selbridge, Kevin Byrne, he retired on, 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 quite sadly, on ill health grounds, but he did that. 10 weeks before the election 
and I had recently moved back to Selbridge. Um, I've been living in different different parts, not too far away, but in, in other places for a couple of years before that. And um, so I was living here. I kind of have a vested interest in the future of the town because I, I do intend to continue to live here probably for the next 50 years or so, I would hope. <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of thought... Um, I, I kind of thought, you know, I don't really want to be sitting in traffic jams for the next 50 years of my life. Mm. Um, so there you go. That's a, a vested personal interest in, in helping address some of the issues that Selbridge is facing. And on another level, I thought, well, why not me? Because the Emmett Stagg, as I said earlier, myself and Emmett had a, a bit of a, a, a falling out a number of years ago. Mm. And um, Emmett suggested that he was going to run for the council seat um, when Kevin stepped down. And I thought, and I think I think it was something we said, you know, well, we don't really have anyone else to run. And I thought, well, here, hang on a second. Look, here I am right here. <laughs> so, and yeah. and uh, so I, I, kind of, I thought about it for a few days and mm. I spoke to. I have some friends in Labour Women mm. and I spoke to them about it and I, I said, should I should I go for this? Like, and they said, yeah, absolutely, definitely. Of course, they were going to say go for it, you know, but I, I don't know what I was expecting. But I thought, you know, I will. And uh, so I did. I, I, I lodged my nomination in the head office and um, I challenged Emmett for the, the nomination. And that was that was extremely difficult for me to do because I'm, you know, I've n- never really been one to put myself forward that much do you know mm. that was it would, I don't know if I'm saying that but it, mm. it, it was very difficult for me to do that particularly as we had that falling out and we had a conversation myself and Emmett had a conversation hadn't spoken in a while before it and I kind of made it very clear to him that I was not backing out of this contest that I was going to go for it and um, and then on the day of the selection convention he withdrew his nomination so he left the he left the the field clear for me to to get the nomination and um at that point i mean <laughs> i kind of had to do it at that point didn't i because <laughs> i had the nomination and so i had i think at that point eight weeks to the election like a good election campaign it can't be done in eight weeks yeah. you know i know i've been to like director of elections on a different election campaign we ran a brilliant mm. campaign in 20 i think it was 2014 and he was still 53 votes short of a seat, you know, and that was that was over, I think, six, at least six months on the groundwork had been going on a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking eight weeks, it's just like, OK, look, I'm just going to do my best and I'm gonna go for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, the previous experience of canvassing over the, the, the various years kind of helped because I knew roughly what people in Salbridge already I already knew what they were mm-hmm. looking for. And in one level, I was able to tell them what they were looking for. And and then it, it resonated with people. And I, I did my best in the campaign. I, I tried to be very open and honest with people. Um, I tried to be very clear about what I hope to achieve and the difference between what can be achieved in local and national politics mm. and what can what could be delivered in, in, in local politics and what would have to be kind of an advocacy role for a national level. Mm. And I actually still have that leaflet. I, I sent out a leaflet and circulated to every house in Selbridge. There's a lot of houses in Selbridge, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I circulated to every house in, in Selbridge and Dark Clock. Um, and um, I, I still have it here on my wall because I like to remind myself what I actually said I was going to do when I got in, because sometimes you get caught up in other things. Um, mm. 
but that's that's how I, I I ran the best campaign I could. And in fairness to Emmett Stagg, he really came through after that. Yeah. Um, and his he he has a long standing connection with a lot of people in in the community. And he came out camp canvassing for me, um, two, three, four times a week. Yeah. Um, and then with Emmett's support and his team, they were they they really helped to put a post. I, I, just bear in mind that I had a a three or four month old child at the time so there was a lot right. of things it was very hard to do I carried her canvassing like I had um I had a, a sling and I had her in it and I called her doors and at, at one point I said actually she's probably my best canvasser because she gets more doors open for me than oh, like people are like hello are you lost like why is there a woman with a child at my door but um no it was so it was a it was a good campaign it was actually good fun and mm. um I don't know if I really actually expected to 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 get elected um just just partially I, it's not that I didn't think I could do it it was because it was such a short campaign it was six weeks yeah. from from yeah. the days I got my my posters to the election the polling day and um and I did I got I got in I, I think actually there were a couple of things that 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 went that really helped I, it was a very small margin that I that I got the seat by um mm. incidentally so Absolutely everything we did on that campaign made a difference. But one thing that definitely made a difference was there's a group on in on Facebook called Salvage Politics. Now it's on a hiatus at the moment for a couple of reasons. But mm. at the time, the, the woman who ran it was doing these things called digital doorsteps. Now, bearing in mind that this is before COVID. So this is kind of groundbreaking stuff that she was yeah. doing video interviews with yeah. um with counselors or with prospective counselors. And um Emmett came around that 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 afternoon and he helped me prepare for that 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 um for that interview and that interview was seen by more than 700 interested voters so it doesn't sound like a huge amount but when you're talking about you need 700 votes to be to get a seat Mm -hmm. like 700 Mm -hmm. voters is a lot of people to 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 tap into with one interview and then after I did that interview I was canvassing housing like oh yeah we saw your interview and yeah we're going to give you our vote so it really made it, it made a huge difference and, and all the things we did made a difference and yeah. um, I, I won the seat. I, I should say I kept the seat because it was Kevin's seat yeah. um, for a long, long time, 17 years, I think he, he was on the council. And then yeah. before him, Emmett had had the seat and before him, another man had had the seat. Right. So, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, so it was, that's how I, I became a councillor. Um, it wasn't intended, but it, it, it happened and, and, uh, and here I am. <laughs> Was it the Greens who got a new seat on the council or was it the independent Ida Cusson? Yeah, or? no, Ida Cusson used to be Sinn Féin and then right. she left. Yeah. Um, and there was another, there was an independent leftist, I don't actually know if he was independent, but he was operating more or less independently, mm. uh, Brendan Young. Oh, I know um, Brendan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I actually know Brendan too, going back to action on next days. But, um, All right. Yeah. yeah, so he he lost his seat to the Greens. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Now the thing is that actually it was myself and, and Brendan were the last two battling mm. it out for that seat. So there yeah. was ten votes between us um yeah. when the when the election was called. And then after a recount, one vote was found, I think it was found not to be for me, more so than for, for him. So there was actually I won the seat by an, a, a nine vote margin, which really, really goes to show that how important it is to mm. to get out and vote. It's local, it, local, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. did you think you benefited? I mean, Labour did actually pretty well, actually, the local elections. It really consolidated. The Greens, of course, 
did well, well yeah. say. and the <laughs> yeah. social democrats of course they did better than i think anyone expected so it's just it's interesting in all of that like um Oh, and of course, there's no Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin did a lot worse than a lot of people expected. Mm. Yeah. So, um, like, most of the Sinn Féin councillors in our our council lost their seats. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Um, But then one of them went on to be elected to TD the next year. So there's no... It's like it comes and goes, you know. Snakes and ladders. Yeah. And, uh, no, we we did quite well in that, all right. I don't know what, what exactly we benefited from. I think we had really good candidates i'd like to think we had really good candidates but uh, maybe there's more to it than that but the thing about being a labor a labor counselor is that generally speaking i mean I'm, i might be one of the few exceptions actually that there is a labor vote in salbridge still but generally speaking people who vote labor vote for the candidate rather than the party from what i can see anyway right um so I don't I don't know what what caused the boost, but I do know that we have, as I said earlier, a great crop of councillors there, yeah. Um, yeah. who are all really really dedicated and really really passionate and have great ideas and doing our best to doing our best on on really difficult issues like housing, um, where we don't actually have the authority, you don't have the power, the funding, the authority to resolve that issue, and um, you can only really you feel like you're fighting fighting fire. Um, the whole time I think that that's probably the hardest part of being a counsellor is when you don't have the ability to help people who come to you looking for help and some of them have really heartbreaking circumstances and then in other cases it's not heartbreaking it's just bad luck you know mm. and uh, and yet there and, and then there's the the hidden homelessness and the people who can't afford to to move out of home because they can't get it they can't afford the rent anywhere yeah. you know there's it's a huge huge issue and there's so little you can actually do about it at council level it's, it's so frustrating at times did you feel going into the that going into the council you had a, a good sense of what limitations and what what was available or, or what the experience was going to be like or or was it a baptism of fire <laughs> I think yeah yeah I think during my campaign I um I was quite clear with people what can be done locally what can be done nationally mm-hmm. but I definitely think that politically speaking I underestimated the constraints that mm-hmm. that are experienced at local council level um so the investment to fix the issues that we we are experiencing isn't there like be that in housing be that in water be that in any area the council works in the, the investment isn't there and then even when the funds are there in Kildare County Council in particular, we're, we're badly understaffed. So sometimes the funds are there and they can't access them uh, because they don't have the staffing to apply for them. Or the funds are there, but they don't have a shovel ready project like other councils would because they have more staff to prepare these things. Mm-hmm. So it, you're really you're on the back foot a lot when you're when you're in the council. I didn't I don't think I realized how limited the, the role would be. And, I, and I, I learned very quickly. I mean, I went in there and one of the first motions I brought was about the second bridge in Selbridge, which is mm. something that's been going on for 35 years. And there was finally this movement on it. I said, and they said, look, we'll have it done in, in, in uh, four to 12 weeks or something like that, this particular part of the project. And I said, well, can we make it four weeks rather than 12 weeks? And they just said, no. And I was sitting there going, what? Like, do you know, I, I didn't did not know that's how this relationship was going to work. And then um, it turns out, of course, that the councillors don't have a say in the day to day running 
of the council that the council management does all that so it's not that they're throwing up barriers intentionally I think it's more that um they are working within these constraints and they don't their their priorities don't always align with our priorities um so yeah it's it's and it's taken a lot longer and then of course COVID like just just blew everything out of the water like you're finally getting some progress on a couple of projects like the youth facility that I'm trying to that we've been trying to, to set up here mm. um, and that was delayed by a year basically because you know it was just everything was everything is about COVID all of a sudden yeah. um, and uh, it, it's kind of getting back on track now but it, it, it really yeah no it definitely didn't didn't understand the constraints before I go in I think I still I mean I watch back I watch back that interview I did um, before the election Yep. last night and a lot of it I, I still think is 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 accurate but I, I don't think I understood that reporting relationship no yeah. or um that I didn't have the process knowledge let's put it that way yeah um, but I do now two years on do you think it's a place where there is actual political power is it you know for, I mean often the relationship in Ireland seems to be and, and in, in local government everywhere actually but that representation is clawed back all the time from the actual elected representatives. We see this in Dublin, actually, the one DCC with the LDA and what have you. Now they're trying to take that out of the hands of the councillors entirely because the councillors voted in a certain way, which I find, yeah. you know, it's like... No, that, like, does, that does happen, all right, yeah. And um, I think we're, just on the, the LDA, I think we're, we're trying to state our displeasure with, with the, the move by government to take that away from councillors but we can't stop it you know it's, it's not something that as a councillor you can't we don't have any actual power over what the national government does um, mm. and the only thing that the only way that we can really influence this is that it's some of the a lot of our councillors in the council would also be members of the the, the ruling parties um, and so you could we can try get them to apply pressure through that avenue but the from for, through the actual council no we don't have we don't have very much power we have reserved functions that we can do um but they're quite limited and as you said they're they're decreasing all the time the funding is is abysmal in in local government and um this is one of the things i discussed with michael taft yesterday actually he, he was saying that you know you need to invest public invest in in public infrastructure and, and the rest and and I asked would it make a difference does it make a difference if it's through local authorities because obviously like I said I'm biased but I'm a councillor but I would think that yeah. a lot of this money would be well you know it's done through the council and yeah. it probably yeah. be spent better through the council and he said no you're you're right actually it's it's not in our fiscal policy but a lot of it you know if you if you if it's more likely to go to areas that are going to be more effective as well. It can be more effective as an investment um, if it's administered by local people who have a better idea of where the local needs are. Um, and we're really, really badly underfunded. I mean, if you look at, I think that the national funding to councils, local authorities in Ireland is something like, is it 8% or it's 8%? It's yeah. tiny of all government spending goes through. Whereas if you look at somewhere like uh, Denmark, I think, um, they they spend most of their most of their government spending is administered through local authorities. So, it's it, there's a real deficit in how much influence the local authorities can then have because they're they're starved of this funding. So it's a small amount of power to start with, and then it's ever decreasing amount of power. You could get really depressed thinking about it, but I think mm. it's more it's more helpful to focus on what you can do. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the advocacy piece is, is a big one, like, and, and trying to get people to stand up for themselves. I ran a, a campaign in September 2019, I think it was, uh, trying to get people to highlight a really deficient bus service and how people weren't able to get on the buses on the way home from town because there wasn't enough capacity on it and, mm. and all the rest of it. And, um, and I called it the complaint campaign. And uh, to really try to like it was it was the, probably the first piece of community organizing I tried. Now it had mixed successes. It was um, I don't know if it actually had much of an impact, but it was it was good to try it, you know, yeah. uh, and to see what could be done there. And people did. In fairness, they they you know when, when their bus didn't arrive or whatever, they they complained. Like and usually <laughs> they would have just rolled their eyes. Oh God, bloody bus! Oh God, it's gone past again. Absolutely packed. You know, yeah. I, I wish you know I've been standing here an hour. Do you know they, they wouldn't have complained before. But they did. They did as part of that campaign. So, um, yeah, just trying out things like that. And then when people come to me with issues like they're, they're not they're not groundbreaking. You're not going to save the plant from from Kildare County Council. You know, you're not going to overthrow oppressive structures from Kildare County Council. But you can do little pieces um, mm. to try improve, you know, improve people's quality of life, like look after the area that we live in and. Um, I'm on the, the Climate Action Committee as well. So um, climate action has always been kind of important to me politically. Mm. And I said, why didn't you join the Green Party? And I was like, well, when I was looking at joining parties, they had sold their soul as far as I was concerned, <laughs> you know. And I, so I joined the Labour Party. And then, of course, look what happened that much. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's, it, as a, I think, yeah, you do have to kind of focus on what you can do. Yeah. Um, what, what you can't. Do you, do you feel like, for instance, at local government level, climate action is taken in any sense seriously? Oh, no, definitely. Oh, it, in, the, in particular, since the last election, it is like it's probably one of the top priorities at this point. Mm. Um, now, it's all about it's all about adaptation rather than mitigation. So it's about preparing ourselves for inevitable climate change more so than trying to stop the climate change. Um, right. But that's something that we flagged very early on and, and okay. we tried to do a bit of mitigation piece. And then, of course, you have like the biodiversity and there's a there's a new in- intake of green councillors in, in Kildare County Council as well. There weren't any before. Now mm-hmm. there's three and they're able to push the green agenda. And then um, I've been doing my bit kind of feeding into some of the motions and then trying to focus on the just transition piece as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you really need to bring people with you. Uh, you can't just force people to do this. It won't work. You know, it, it won't work in Ireland. It won't work. You can't force Irish people to do something they don't want to. Uh, you have to really involve them in the conversation the whole way through and get their ideas as well. Um, so the climate action pieces is, is don't going really well in the council, and I'm glad of it. That the the actual that's kind of the new left, I would say. That, that 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 piece it's it's uh it's not like the traditional left where you're you've got your workers and your your employers and and mm. you're trying this conflict of interest like this is a new movement but it's also a leftist movement i would say i listened to your interview with michael pigeon i thought actually what he said was quite interesting mm. about the green party wanting to increase the role of the state and that is essentially leftist mm. in, in some ways but the, the traditional leftist piece that's much harder to bring through in the council, I think. Um, I have been thinking about it, um, kind of how can I, because at the moment I feel like you're doing a bit of clientelism. 
you know, you're, you're taking the cases you're trying to keep, as Michael Pigeon said, you're struggling to keep your in on top of your inbox um, with cases coming in. And so it, there's a, there's a, it's a piece of like, how do I, how do I bring labor values? How do I bring left wing values into the council? And it's in small ways. And I, I don't know if I've been particularly successful in this yet. So <laughs> I need to check back in in a few years, but something I've been thinking about a lot more, like how can I, um, how can I be more leftist than centrist in my, in my approach as a counselor? And um, what else can we do? Is there anything else we can do as counselors on the housing issue? Is there anything else? Is there anything we can be doing on promoting workers' rights? Like the local councils, they're great for promoting small and medium enterprises, but they, they do nothing on workers on, mm-hmm. on workers' rights, do you know? And there's there's ways around it, like the, the, the library run seminars. It could be really interesting to do a political education seminar through through the libraries. It could be, um, you know, we could do some. Uh, work promote workplace innovation like there's a, the ideas institute in the sipto ideas institute ideas institute they they focus on workplace innovation and it's union-led it's about process knowledge and um it, and how that can improve the the fortunes of companies if they if they take it seriously and it'd be really interesting to bring some of that into you know the local enterprise office as much as supporting the 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 entrepreneurs and the rest of it so there's more could be done and it's something i am going to try keep working on it's not something that i have done much on yet and if if i'm yeah that sounds still working on that sounds very interesting (laughs) indeed because it kind of shows up even what you're saying there it shows up how much Everything is tilted in a certain direction to SMEs, to business, to corporate interests. But, but yeah. you know, less exalted than corporate interests, the SMEs, and yeah. even at the most fundamental local level of the library itself. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think part of the reason that the council is, is slanted that way is that it relies on that for its income. It does rely on heavily on, on uh, like rates and take uh, from small and medium businesses so there is a, a real interest there in, in promoting business mm-hmm. activity yeah. um but also it, it's not just practical it, at some level it must be ideological as well mm-hmm. um and trying to bring a bit of balance to that is it, it could be a challenge but it's it's something that we're that we're, we're thinking of as a group in the labor grouping in Kildare County Council is something that we're giving some consideration to we're going to do some um, we're going to do a few, few bits around May Day, um, yeah, and uh, and really try and and just introduce that um, workers' rights and um, representing you know the interests of the working class into our work on the council, as well as doing the the centrist piece, as I said. Do you feel the support at the national level within 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 the Labour Party for addressing the local government issue and the limitations there, or? Well, that's an interesting question. I think so. I think there is a lot of our TDs would, and senators would have come up through the ranks of um, being councillors first. Mm-hmm. So they, they have that real experience of how difficult and frustrating and it can be in local government trying to get anything done. So, yeah, I, th- I think they understand it. And I think they, they probably try raise it as much as they can. But obviously it comes down to like, well, what's your political power? Do you have the political power to actually address this? And at the moment we don't. Yeah. 
Mm. Like we can introduce, we can introduce um, private members bills and they do, they're doing great work on, on a lot of private members bills at the moment in, in the doll, the labor group is, but it, if we act, we don't actually hold the purse strings. Um, and even I would argue, even when we were in government, we didn't really hold the purse strings because there was the Troika, there was the economic crash. There was all these things, all these limitations on what could be done um, at that time. But yeah, I think, I think the, the councillors, we're very <laughs> vocal. <laughs> um, we have meetings with Alan Kelly. In fairness, Alan Kelly, he's been having sort of monthly meetings with councillors. Um, all 50 whatever of us on the same Zoom call, it can get a bit, <laughs> can get a bit busy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he's, he's, so he is listening to, to what we're raising and then they, they, they're raising our concerns in the doll and, and the rest of it. So I think the appetite is there. I'm not sure the influence and the ability to actually rectify the situation yeah. is there yet. You know, if we get a few more in the next time and keep building on that, I'd say, you know, it's a matter of time, but uh, I would hope they would take it seriously when when they when we when we rebuild our party nationally, you know the the, the restrictions of, of what we can do locally. I mean that's what they're doing at the moment. They're really trying to state Labour's position on different issues, and mm. um, that's that's really all you can do in opposition. Um, and that's not all you can do. I think their 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 constructive opposition is going quite well. You know, here's what you're doing wrong, but here's what we think could be done better rather than just saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong the whole time, which is not very productive. It might help build a party, but it's it's ultimately it's not going to be very um, productive in the long run. So it's an interest, interesting time to be involved in, in politics. Mm. And there's so many challenges coming down the track of this that have, as I said, kind of been deferred by COVID in some places. Mm. But then you have you have the Brexit question is still ongoing. Like that's yeah. that's going to cause problems economically then you have uh, the climate crises and the biodiversity crises but you also have the housing crisis which has gone very quiet all of a sudden and you know it's it's kind of about trying to push your own ideas on that and build the political base to put yourselves in a position where you can address them Um, and for me that's through politics it's also through trade unionism Um, but it's for me that's at the moment mostly through politics i talked about the political challenges more than the, the personal challenges um i think for me I, I i know i under underestimated the constraints politically of local government in ireland but i definitely also underestimated the impact it would have on me personally mm. of being a councillor and the additional stress that it would bring of trying to work an almost full-time job yeah. um, and in, 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 in the trade union movement. And then what is essentially almost a full-time job as a counsellor. Yeah. And um, also at the same time, trying to um, raise my daughter, who's two now, but she was yeah. only four months when I ran. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a lot of, a lot of additional stress on me personally mm. and COVID then when COVID came along and suddenly we were working from home we didn't have access to childminding um, and I was bringing Ava to meetings again when, when our meetings actually restarted I had to bring her like we had we had to have a discussion on the variation to the county development plan mm. we all had to attend that in person I had no one to take Ava that day so I had to rock up drive down to Newbridge wrangle her 
into I got a parking ticket actually because <laughs> I think I forgot to pay for my parking. Well, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? But anyway, um, the council administers parking fines, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, um, but I was trying to get her into the into the this giant hall. It was like going into an exam hall. And then the desks are all two meters apart. And you try keeping a toddler on your lap yeah. for two hours yeah. during a meeting and try to keep her entertained. I had the variations of the county development plan on one side of my screen and I had Hey Dougie playing on the other side of the screen. I had brought copious numbers of snacks, every like as much milk as she could drink just to try to keep her entertained and quiet for that meeting and it worked okay like we got through that meeting okay and it wasn't the first time I brought her with me because mm. when I was elected originally I was I was still on maternity leave mm. and she was too young to be leaving with anyone else at that point she was only four four five months old probably by the time we had the first meeting yeah. so I couldn't really leave her with anyone I could have left her with my my parents perhaps but they both still work full-time and mm. um, so th- there was really no one to take her so it wasn't the first time I had taken her to a meeting um, or training but it does it does make it everything infinitely harder mm. when you're trying to even when you're not at meetings when you're trying to field phone calls from people um, I'm trying to work full-time as a, an advocate as well in, in the workers rights center like it was a lot a lot of pressure and it, it, it really really got to me and I know I think it's got to a lot of people like I don't I do not believe I am in any way unique in this I think a lot of people have found the last year extremely difficult from um, a mental health point of view Mm. and um, you know I'm in a very privileged position where I'm able to afford to access help for that and I do and I I make full use of that (laughs) Um, I go to I still go to 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 counseling sessions and um, and that that has helped me but there's other people who don't have that access and like, it's really bad like there's the we have a primary care psychology I'm going off on a bit of tangent here sorry but no, we have a primary care psychology ser- service here in Selbridge or we're meant to and they just closed it down two years ago and never replaced it so there's nowhere like there's people left or were left until I think they probably still are left on waiting lists for counselling and they're on this waiting list to nowhere because there's no one to to um to actually give that so if you can't afford to access that mental health support privately you're absolutely hmm. i'm gonna swear that but i won't do you know you're, you're really you're it's like nobody cares it's, it's that's one of the things i've been trying to highlight recently is is that the primary care psychology service is gone and nobody seems to to care um but you know it's so it, and particularly at the moment we need it more than ever you know so it's it's not just me and it's it, and it's parents across the country i mean we're they're, we're finally going back to the schools now mm. and that'll that'll have its own issues um but it, in terms of taking a tiny bit of pressure off of parents i would hope that it would it would help do that mm. um but last year there was there was there was nothing and uh, even the essential workers weren't able to get childcare. Yeah. um and i know i'm at the time i thought parents are just not being considered in this like it's unreasonable to expect someone to work a full-time day and homeschool their child or mind their child if they're too young for school and uh and still be productive do you know it's 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 not possible so that was one of the that's been one of the the real challenging things is is COVID obviously um but also just the general lack of work-life balance when you're a counsellor and you can't like I could have 
six hours of meetings a week that aren't council meetings and mm. um, they're just different different things that are going on that you're expected to be at and um that's it's a, it, it, you don't have a, a personal life really anymore and something that was for a very long time was you know not quite a hobby but uh something that i did enjoy has has become work you know and on one level that's it's hard to deal with yeah. but um yeah so i mean I, I said this before i was elected but i think women with young children are a missing demographic from politics in ireland in general but there's a reason for it and that reason is that it's almost impossible to balance um child rearing mm. particularly maybe in the younger years yeah. with a political not even a political career but you know just with politics and, er- and everything it demands of you it's hard to find a balance there and if i was saying to someone who was considering running for election and thought they might have a young family or they have a young family or whatever i would really urge them to think twice to be honest at the moment it was something i didn't consider before because it was such a whirlwind whirlwind from getting the nomination to actually being elected I didn't consider the impact of what being elected would mean for me um so I think it is uh, until such time as the structures are in place to facilitate more family-friendly ways of being involved in politics then you do really need to take that into consideration like how is this going to impact on your life and your ability to be a person and not just a politician Um, so and like the maternity leave thing is it's just dreadful you don't get a maternity leave if you're if you're a politician and I'm glad to see Helen McEntee is getting maternity leave because I think that will mean changes for us and I I think they should be able to get paternity leave as well because there's a lot of people in politics who become fathers and then have to be back in the job two weeks later if that at all um and uh, but one of the things that we were I know we mentioned this before, but the the Zoom meetings that have been, you know, a lot of the council work has been moved to Zoom mm. and it has helped a lot in terms of making those meetings more accessible and yeah. um, not just for people who have families at home and have to be physically present to to mind them and mm. um, to take care of them or to homeschool them but also for for people who were cocooning who who wouldn't be able to attend in person anyway and um it, it's really the, the moving a lot of the, the council meetings on zoom it hasn't as far as i can see impacted massively on the way we do our business yeah. um there's been a, there's always a bit of uh, you're on mute and <laughs> you know um, that sort of thing it's like um, this podcast you know <laughs> yeah yeah you're on mute um but uh and and some people who who can't use the raise hand function in teams and see just see them trying to raise their hand in the in the screen but you know i think we're kind of getting more used to it and i hope that the option to do um blended isn't the right term but uh mm. you know part digital part uh, physical meetings will continue on after I think I hope that's one of the, the good things that comes out of COVID because it has made it easier to access those meetings um, without having to drive half an hour to the council chamber and half an hour back again and without having to worry about getting childcare or yeah. any of those things that were were um, barriers to, to participation. Really. Do, do you think that the key thing then is to see that maybe as a bit of a gain, but something that has to be fought for to be retained now that we're moving into a different, hopefully, 
the post-COVID situation. Yeah, it, it is. It's going to be a, it's going to be a bit of a struggle, um, because I think there are some people who are still very set in their ways, and they see this as a, a temporary measure that kind of has to be done. Uh, it's not something that they really want to do long term. Maybe they're not too comfortable with technology. Um, they, they don't really like the idea of there's a resistance even to broadcasting our meetings in in Kildare I know in this day and age there's people who say no I'd rather that didn't happen you know so or who won't maybe won't say that out loud but will do their damnedest to 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 stretch it out long enough that everyone just goes oh you know this again (laughs) we'll just leave it and I think I think that's that might be the game plan but um yeah no so it it is keep getting people to embrace and see the um see the 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 positives of the new technologies as well it is going to be a challenge and i I think it's not something that we're going to be able to do on our own it's something that will be decided at at council level in every council but Mm -hmm. i do think it's going to need a bit more um national guidance for for example they needed a change in the law before we could have uh meetings on zoom like formal statutory meetings not so much the the different the other ones that we'd have but the the formal ones couldn't be had on zoom until there was a change in the law and i think there might be a sunset clause on on that law change i'm not entirely sure but if if it is then then we'll have to have that that argument again but yeah it's not right i'm just thinking of a colleague of mine she she gave birth and then one day and then was expected to go into a council meeting like two days later you know it's not that's not on physically Um, impossible and mentally impossible that's yeah, just, it's just I, I like we had this discussion about maternity leave in, in Kildare County yeah. Council recently, and, and I said, you know, it, it, this, this motion, it, it's about acknowledging that politicians are people too, and sometimes they become parents, and that needs to be that needs to be mm. provided for. I think for a long time, you know, this it's not just um, women with young families. There's a real lack of young people in general with yeah. in 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 local and national politics, and. I think I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because politics is, doesn't seem that relevant to, to young people's lives. But I mean, they, for a long time, it, it's kind of been the preserve of retirees and um, people who have already raised their families and they don't have those kind of yeah. issues. And that I think that's why nothing has ever really been done about it. But yeah. it's hopefully it's changing. Do you think that over the last year, obviously having brought those sorts of issues to in a head that you know there is a bit more awareness now at least of that that it's a more salient issue um i think we've made there be more awareness of it <laughs> like these things that you know awareness doesn't just happen by itself it has to be um it has to be we have to really push a point but particularly on the maternity leave i think helen McEntee's situation has really highlighted that for national politicians Absolutely. Yeah. And I think also, um, you know, we have that report into cancer's paying conditions and it, it looks like there might actually be an increase in, in cancer salary to, to match the amount of work that we do. And um, you know, there will be massive public pushback on that saying, you know, why do they why are they getting an increase when, when we're all struggling on pandemic unemployment payment? And it's a valid question. But I mean, at the moment, you're doing an awful lot of unpaid work as a cancer. Mm. Um, and it, it it it's not you can't live on on eighteen thousand euro a year. It, not in not in not in not as a person who has a mortgage and a young child. Like you, you just can't do it. Whereas twenty four thousand, 
it'll be a struggle, but it's it, it's potentially more doable. Um, so I think it's yeah, I think there's 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 there are steps kind of in the way to um, there's awareness. You're right. There's awareness now of the challenges that we're facing. Whether there is the political will to actually address those, I don't know yet. If the public sector has good terms and conditions and good workers' rights, then the chances of them being found elsewhere across the society are better. And it's exactly the same, I feel, in relation to maternity. And you were saying earlier how it's up to men as well to organise about paternity. I mm. couldn't agree mm. more. And it's that, it's that sense of, like, there's a chance that things will progress further if there are gains made and the gains maintained, you know. Yeah, and it, it's kind of, it's one of those things where the small gains, they not only be added up over time, but also... As you said, they can serve as like a motivational factor for people to push for other gains. And mm. it's like, you know, it, the, the problem there maybe is that sometimes people look at the public sector and say, oh, they're getting such good wages and they have such good terms and conditions. And I don't have those things. And so they shouldn't have them either. You know? yeah. <laughs> Rather than so I should have them. It's more they shouldn't exactly. have them because I don't. Yeah. So, it's, so changing that mindset is 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 really really difficult um but uh it, it's it's kind of it's a work in progress as well <laughs> as is getting, everything <laughs> getting people involved in unions another key thing and uh yeah it's just so important and i, I think that the understanding there is it's still not there and um you know i won't get into the hows and whys of it's, it's the fact that the union movement isn't as strong as it used to be mm. and actually michael taft made a very good argument yesterday about how keynesianism worked in the 30s and 40s and 50s it was because it was Keynesianism it had you know they had labor governments or labor social democratic governments depending on where you were but you also had strong union movements that were pushing these changes Um, and so I think it is like a two-pronged approach you do need both to create and sustain and maintain that change because change can be undone very quickly so unless you have the the people there who are um willing to fight for it and keep it then it can just be undone like that by the next minister who comes in that doesn't agree with you mm. and politics is the thing about it is it's never ending like there's you can have temporary wins but it keeps going on and on and on and you have to defend your gains <laughs> and try keep pushing for for new ones and uh, that can be hard like i think that the, the the idea that you, you know you have you have so many things that need to be addressed so many things in so little time and you have to prioritize how do you prioritize one thing over another it's mm. it's it, it, it's very difficult it is mm. um as i say that i'm not looking for sympathy it, but it is genuinely <laughs> difficult you know it's something i've i've been yeah. kind of tossing around like how do i prioritize what do because i i'm only one person and then of course you're like I am only one person, but I'm part of a party. <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of I should be uh, I should be delegating, not even delegating, but I should be you know working more with with others. But I think again, just because we we did lose quite a number mm. of members, um, our party our party s- system. I think when we as we rebuild, it'll get easier because there'll be more people to take on more. Um, different aspects of, of things that we want to do and um, it won't just be one person trying to swim against the tide you know there's be a whole load of us and uh, 
I think that'll make a difference. But that, that, that's what it is. That's what keeps people, that gets people involved in politics. That's what keeps them involved in politics is like the camaraderie and, um, and the, the common fight. Really.